electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Well, the Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq all finishing lower, but the Russell 2000, the outperformer, finishing in the green today. That is the scorecard on Wall Street. The action is just getting started. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan with John Ford. Yeah, and it's utilities and comm services that were the biggest drags on the market today. Energy, consumer discretionary, and tech, the only sectors in the green. But maybe a trio of earnings after the bell can get the rally back on track. We're going to have instant analysis of results from Workday, Zoom Video, and Unity Software as soon as they're released. Plus, we will hear from an analyst who says Alphabet looks cheap for a reason. It actually moved the stock today. And but first, we're going to get more on this market day. Mike Santoli is back with us from the New York Stock Exchange. Mike, interesting market action. The 10-year yield isn't backing off, creeping up to 4.28. This week we get PCE, durable goods. I mean, is this, is this about seeing post-NVIDIA if there's another leg here? Yeah, I mean, I do think the market is trying to explore that. And today, you mostly held near the highs. There were sort of more stocks down than up, but really not a lot of intense selling. So I think today's kind of a hold. Um, and, you know, you sort you of seeing the NASDAQ 100 kind of churn around this round number level, around 18,000. Same thing with the NASDAQ composite. So, you know, maybe we're at a moment where you've already kind of taken credit for a lot of the good things out there. You mentioned yields. We're definitely testing the pain tolerance. I don't think 4.3 on the 10-year is a game changer at all, but if it looks like it's starting to accelerate and you're starting to get toward 4.5 and you're taking back a lot of that decline in yield that we got from October, then maybe that's an excuse for a rethink of exactly what the equity market can handle. But most of it's happening because the economy has been more resilient. And in that context, you can accept a world in which the Fed is is wait and see as opposed to rushing to cut rates. Yeah, and of course, we get another tidal wave of Treasury issuance this week. So that's one to watch, including some auctions today. Uh, Mike Santoli, stay close because we'll be back to you in just a moment. In the meantime, let's get to our market panel. Joining us now is Vital Knowledge founder Adam Crisafuli and Wilmington Trust head of investment strategy, Megan Shu. Megan, I'll start with you because if we're talking about a spectrum of things that are affecting the market right now, at one end you have AI, at the other end you have the Fed, somewhere in the middle you have the economy, which both of these things are affecting. How do you invest uh, given the fact that you do have these different dynamics afoot right now? Yeah, Morgan, I think you've laid it out perfectly, um, which is to say that there's some competing narratives at play right now. And the Fed and the interest rate story is certainly on the more bearish side, but AI is a huge engine for growth right now. It's not the only engine. We're also seeing really solid economic data. CEO confidence is picking up. Manufacturing surveys are showing signs of bottoming that we think is really key to get some of the broadening of market participation here. So I think you want to think about being in the market, fully invested. We have a neutral allocation to equities, but we're favoring the U.S. where we are seeing better economic data and extended valuations relative to non-U.S. equities, but for good reason. Megan, we've got our first earnings out. Workday, those results are here. Kate Rooney has the numbers. Kate. Hey, Morgan. It's a beat on the top and bottom line. For Workday, we also have some M&A news here in a a separate release. Workday 
has agreed to buy Hired Score. That is an HR software firm. But let me get to the EPS and revenue numbers here. EPS is a beat by 10 cents. This is the adjusted number, $1.57. That was on revenues of $1.92 billion, a beat as well for Workday. But again, the big headline here, some M&A for Workday acquiring Hired Score. They talk about some of the AI assistance uh, with this HR software firm Again, but uh, a, a solid beat for Workday. No guidance, though, uh, in the, the release here quite, quite yet. But we'll keep an eye out for that, guys. Back over to you. Okay, Kate Rooney. Thank you. Adam Christofuli, I'm going to go there with you right now because we got shares of Workday down about 7% after hours. We know it's been a mixed picture uh, in, in terms of tech, in terms of enterprise tech. Um, but the fact that we do have an M&A acquisition by Workday, it seems to be tied to AI capabilities. How does it speak to what we were just talking about before those earnings crossed? Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing companies across the board um, ramp up their AI capabilities. Either they're doing it organically, internally with their own development team, so they're going out and buying assets. Um, you know, I'm not sure the, the size of this acquisition that they're making, but you know, this is definitely an area where, um, you know, they have exposure already and it makes sense for them to, to move further into the HR aspect um, of the market. Uh, you know, I think for the stock, the key will really be kind of guidance. Like you said, we've had mixed signals on enterprise tech. You had Cisco and Palo Alto Networks, both of which were somewhat disappointing. Um, you know, unclear if that's if that's uh, impacting Workday's outlook. We get Salesforce later in the week as well. So I think commentary around um, guidance, both quantitative and qualitative guidance, that's really going to be key, I think, for the market. But, you know, all tech companies are, are ramping up their books on AI, um, like I said, whether or not they have to make M&A to do it or, they, or they're able to do it internally with their own development teams. Megan, it's an interesting day where even though the major indices were pretty flat, uh, a lot of software and even smaller software names did pretty well. I mean, Coinbase was up almost 17 percent. HashiCorp we're going to talk about later, up 14, even further down. And some of the larger names, you know, CrowdStrike was up three. Palo Alto Networks, which had uh, that, that rough post-earnings trade, was up seven. How much are you thinking about risk differently, if at all, after last week's earnings reports? Well, I think earnings season has been a positive surprise, and we've been pleasantly surprised by what we've gotten there. As it relates to small cap, I think you're seeing a little bit of uh, stronger performance today. That certainly has not participated to the degree we'd like to see. I think small cap tech is a little bit of a funny place right now, um, where a lot of the tech story and the secular growth story is around big data, AI having scale, um, and so small cap tech is a little bit of a maybe a no man's land. Um, but if we get better economic data with that continued disinflation story, we're not going to get that this week. PCE is going to reiterate what we got from CPI. But we do think that the disinflation trend is intact. We think that the Fed will be in a position to start cutting rates in May or June and do that about four times this year. That should all help small cap. Uh, and we would expect to see some maybe some upward re revisions to small cap earnings as we go forward. Adam, it seems like there's a couple different ways looking at post NVIDIA earnings. One is, hey, the AI trade is still alive and that helps smaller companies that are trying to innovate in that space. But the other way of looking at it is maybe bigger is still better, right? Because even though they're already big, they're still managing to grow significantly. Which do you think is having the bigger impact on stocks right here? Yeah, I mean, I think for the broader market, um, 
you know, like like the prior your prior guest said, I think disinflation is going to be the key to to the extent we see this kind of rotation back into smaller caps, away uh, back into the more equal weight S and P from these dominant um, companies. The earnings numbers from from all of them, pretty much. You know, Meta has spectacular results, and Video was spectacular. They've been really great, but I think to, if we're going to see a rotation back into small caps, it's really going to come down to more macro factors, specifically disinflation. Um, you know, there was a great article in the New York Times this morning talking about the real estate component of the CPI and the PC, which is probably the single biggest question mark for this market. Um, if we are going to see further disinflation, you have to see those rent owner occupied um, components of it really start to move lower. They haven't yet. They're hmm. likely to, given how rents have been progressing over the last several months. But if you do see that happen, you're going to start to see a market composition more similar to what we saw in November or December where it was the eco-weight S&P and the, and the small cap Russell that really led on the upside. Um, but I think it, it, dissecting the inflation data is really going to be key um, over the coming weeks and months. All right. Uh, Workday, meanwhile, just reporting down about 6%. Adam, Megan, thanks to you both. Uh, Zoom video earnings are out as well. Pippa Stevens has those numbers. Pippa. Hey, John. Zoom beating on the top and bottom line for the fourth quarter, earning an adjusted 142 per share. That was ahead of the $1.15 estimate. Revenue coming in at $1.15 billion, also slightly ahead of estimates there. The company also announced a $1.5 billion buyback. Also gave strong guidance. They see Q1 revs between $1.125 billion uh, versus the $1.13 billion estimate. EPS guidance both for Q1 and full year also coming in ahead of estimates. The stock now up about 4.5%. John? All right, Pippa, thank you. And now Mike Santoli's back with a check on the good old 60-40 portfolio. <laughs> it hadn't been good lately, Mike. Yeah, it hadn't been good uh, really for a couple of years. We are basically back to even if you bought the 60-40 portfolio at the top. That was in late uh, 2022, really, or, uh, I guess going back almost two years. Let's put it that way, early 2022. So this is, of course, 60% equities, 40% bonds. And this chart shows the total return. So it includes dividends as well as interest income off of that, which is what really matters when you talk about 60-40 long-term retirement type portfolio. So what does it mean now that we're back to the highs, basically, in terms of the portfolio balance here? Well, the trailing two-year total return on this is about 4% annualized. That means, obviously, that the dividends and the interest payments have accrued, even though on a price basis, it's, it's kind of flattish. So 4% annualized return is about half of the 5, 10, 20, and 30-year average annualized return, which is around 8%. So if you think we're going back to a scenario where that's the norm, then there's theoretically still some mean reversion upside to this approach. Obviously, it doesn't happen in a straight line. It's not necessarily a smooth ride, even though it does damp down some of the vol volatility that you would otherwise have from 100% equities, guys. Well, given that a lot of people think that the rate hikes are, are done for the foreseeable yeah. future, I mean, I guess that would bode well for potential upside from here or no? It would bode well, certainly, in terms of the, the, the bond values, for sure. And the ability, if that's the case, the ability to right now enter fixed income trades at, let's say, 5% plus on investment-grade corporates, which is where they trade at the moment, would seem to be a pretty decent spot to, to do so if, in fact, yields are going to go a little bit lower. So, you know, obviously, many, many factors go into it, but some of the, uh, I guess, the general atmospheric conditions around this type of portfolio look okay. All right. Mike Santoli, thank you. Up next, a top tech analyst reacts to Workday's results as we count down to all of the earnings calls. Plus, the hits just keep on coming for Alphabet, at uh, least hits to its stock. 
Coming up, an analyst who says there's a good reason why shares look cheap right now. Overtime's back in two. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Unity Software earnings are out. The stock is eh, moving lower. Pippa Stevens has the numbers. Pippa. Hey, John. Yeah, the stock is down 12 percent here after earnings. The company reported a loss of 66 cents per share. We are not comparing that to estimates. Revenue coming in at $609 million. That was a beat. Analysts were looking for $596 million. Clearly, the stock taking a tumble here. We are looking into the report for any other indication of why, and we'll keep you updated. Back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. For more on Unity and Workday, let's bring in Brent Thill from Jeffries. Uh, Brent, I'm going to start with Workday, and unless you have some insight into what in this Unity report has the stock reacting the way it is in overtime. Yeah, John, Unity really is being impacted by a 25% uh, reduction in force and effectively uh, numerous uh, management team members leaving the company. Uh, from our perspective, the inside of this company right now is, is a mess. Uh, there's an, an incredible amount of change. Uh, they're going through a strategic review. They've gone through this riff. Uh, and again, remember, they announced the reduction in force at the beginning of the year. But it's rare to, to see, you know, the magnitude of, 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 of a cut unless, you know, something's really bad. You, you don't usually see tech companies cutting 25 percent of the workforce. So I think those those changes are rippling through the organization. And then you have interim CEO Jim Whitehurst. Uh, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? No one really knows what's going to happen. Everyone uh, really uh, holds Jim in high regard. He ran Red Hat, was CEO of Delta Airlines. He He's a great leader in our in our industry, but you know, is he is he going to stick around? And so, he's interim CEO right now. So ultimately, is he is he going to make all these changes? Are we going to have uh, a reduction in force? And, and and then effectively, what what is he going to do as a CEO? Is he going to go or is he going to stay at the company? So Brent, I think there's there's too many answers, uh, too many questions, not enough answers right now. Yeah, well, let's try to get some context at least. Take a step back with me. What on earth happened here? Because uh, a few months, maybe a year plus ago, uh, Unity was buying IronSource. AppLovin was saying, hey, Unity, why don't you buy us instead? 
and now App Lovin is worth, uh, you know, around 20 billion, while Unity's worth 12 and a half. I mean, uh, the, the the apps space and the need for uh, digital clarity and advertising and data seems to be healthy. So how did this company stumble? Does it say anything about the overall industry that it's playing in? They're losing share, John, is effectively what's happening to AppLovin. AppLovin's taking market share uh, against uh, against the grow business at where IronSource is at. Remember, the entire management team at IronSource uh, just punched out. They all left. Uh, we know this management team. It's a phenomenal group of people in Israel. They they all checked out. Okay, so they're gone. So that side of the business, AppLovin's taking share. Unity is losing massive market share. And ultimately, what does it look like over time? It's unclear right now. On the growth side, you know, it's effectively a duopoly, duopoly between uh, Unity and Epic, um, but they've had their fair share of, of issues uh, on that side of the business as well. So at, at this point, again, I, I think, like I said earlier, we, when you have a brand new CEO come in, that was it was poorly run before. They they made a change in their CEO with John Riccatello, bringing in uh, bringing in Jim Whitehurst, who I, I followed and admired at Red Hat. Uh, ultimately sold the business to IBM. I mean, I think you, you have a situation here where the, the company is spiraling and they have to stop the, the spiral and get it stabilized uh, out of the stall that it's in. Okay. And we, we effectively think, again, that's going to take time. Uh, Jim's making the right call. They're, they're putting the right initiatives in to get it, uh, to get it stabilized. But it's, it's going to be a, a tough one for, for the next few quarters to get it, get it in the right spot. Yeah, and certainly investors selling out right now. The stock down about 10% in overtime. Want to get your thoughts on Workday because it looks like it was uh, a beat on the top and bottom lines. Fiscal 25 guidance reiterating subscription revenue uh, that represents 17 to 18% growth year on year. Non-gap operating margin of 24.5%. Also announcing an acquisition, yet the stock is trading lower right now. Why? Not enough on the print, not enough on the, on the guy. Uh, we think uh, Carl Eschenbach is one of the best leaders in, in the software industry uh, taking over. We've known Carl for 20 years. Uh, this is the right guy long-term, but like a new head coach, it takes time to put your players on the field to effectively run the plays. And, and what I'd say is that they're investing in international uh, markets. Uh, I you know they've, they've lost share to SAP. I'm sitting in Germany, SAP's backyard right now. And Effectively, uh, they, they have to figure out how to get their market share back in, in international markets. They talked about the, the financial product, trying to get better traction there. And uh, they've had some initiatives they have to put in place. So you have a new senior team in place that I think is going to make dramatic changes and dramatic impact to the organization. Uh, we're very bullish on Workday, unlike Unity, uh, where we don't have a buy. We have a buy on Workday, and we think that ultimately Carl... And in, in the new team that's come in is really going to lead the next generation of, of execution and, and better growth. You know, they guided to, to 20, uh, 17 to 18% subscription growth that's in line and 24.5% margin. Again, this company's capable of producing mid 30% margins over time. So they're far from cruise altitude. They got a lot of room left. They've got to put these investments in to get market share back against uh, Oracle in the US, SAP okay. internationally, and improve their execution. All righty. Brent Thill, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We have a news alert on Altice and Charter. Alex Sherman is here with those details. He's been doing some reporting here. Yeah, so uh, Bloomberg came out with a story an hour or two ago saying that Charter was looking at a potential uh, acquisition of Altice USA, a smaller U.S. cable company, among others. Um, I have not been able to confirm the Bloomberg report yet, uh, but what I can tell you is that 
there are no actual official talks here between Charter and Altice. Uh, there has not been a formal proposal or anything. So we're still early days. Bloomberg didn't say there had been. They just said that Charter was investigating various different options. So just adding a little bit of context that we're obviously still very early here. There is strategic logic to putting these two companies together. We saw a big wave of cable consolidation almost 10 years ago now with Charter buying Time Warner Cable. Comcast almost bought Time Warner Cable, our parent company. Uh, but that has slowed down uh, in, in recent years. Um, this would be yet another larger cable acquisition. Altice's market cap is only about a billion dollars, but it has a ton in debt, over $25 billion of debt, so a much larger enterprise value. Yeah. How does it speak to the broader media landscape in a year where we are already talking about the possibility of M&A writ large? So broadband, the story around broadband for years has been uh, the growth story of residential high-speed broadband. That has slowed down in the last year or two. In fact, it stopped altogether. Now you're seeing these companies actually report negative high-speed broadband growth. So it may be time now for another round of consolidation as the growth stories to a lot of these companies starts to at least change. Or maybe it's wireless, maybe it's 10G or some sort of higher-speed broadband, but it's possible that Altice has simply come to the point where there's no more growth there for Altice. So they're going to have to find a buyer as the next chapter of its own corporate existence. All right. Alex Sherman, thanks for joining us. Thank you. J.P. Morgan Chase, CEO Jamie Dimon on the potential fallout for commercial real estate and regional banks if interest rates remain high. We've got all those details when Overtime returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon sounding cautious today during an interview with CNBC's Leslie Picker from his company's High Yield and Leverage Finance Conference. Leslie, was this kind of typical Jamie Dimon, eh, not necessarily too bullish or something more behind this? Yeah, I thought as it pertained to commercial real estate, he was actually a bit more sanguine. I, I asked him whether the stress in the commercial real estate will be the source of the next credit event. He said a lot of that depends on whether we have a recession or not. When you talk about defaults being higher, part of that's just a normalization process. They were so low for so long, so in all of credit, you're watching this, things go up, but they're not at a crisis level, they're just kind of going to normal. So yes, if rates go up, and we have a recession, there will be real estate problems. And some banks will have a much bigger real estate problem than others. He was also pretty sanguine about the potential pockets of contagion that could arise from stress in the system. There should be no domino effect. The problems you've seen were kind of idiosyncratic, problems with Silicon Valley, First Republic, uh, New York Community Bank, uh, and a lot of these, you know, it's also very local. I mean, when you talk about real estate, I think when you say blanketed, if I call it an office and I'm, I have great leases in it, it's fully leased out, 20-year leases, that's completely different than the spec building. So you really got to dig deeper. And, you know, we try to do that when we look at credit. 
about where it is. It'll be pockets. In terms of his overall mark, macro outlook, Diamond said markets are ascribing a 70 to 80 percent probability of a soft landing. And he thinks the odds are about half of that. He said quantitative tightening, fiscal spending and geopolitics. Uh, he thinks those things will need to play out over the next couple of years. And he's, quote, cautious about everything. Guys. Well, yeah. So he said if we have a recession, these bad things could happen. And maybe he's slightly more... Uh, inclined to think that we will have one, but still not, he's still not predicting one. Well, he's saying that there is basically odds are kind of 50-50 that we have one, but he's not saying it's imminent. He's saying over the next few years and that the different uh, factors that are out there, geopolitics, the fiscal spending, the QT, all of that kind of takes time to work through the system, uh, according to Diamond. And so that's kind of where he's um, getting that bearish sentiment that we've seen, uh, you know, over the past few years or so, it's allowed them to be more conservative as a firm uh, from a balance sheet standpoint. And he's basically saying, you know, it may not be imminent. The markets are, you know, giving a high likelihood of, of mission accomplished here in terms of a soft landing, but he's not quite ready to go that far. Mm. Quite a number of Wall Street, a growing list of Wall Street's heads who have been pointing to geopolitics as a, as a real risk factor that they're watching, too. Mm -hmm. uh, Leslie Picker with a win for the live shot today. That looks delightful. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and bringing us the highlights <laughs> from your big interview with Jamie Dimon. It's time now for a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Hey, Morgan. New York City prosecutors are seeking a partial gag order that bars former President Trump from talking about witnesses and court staff ahead of next month's trial on charges of falsified business records. Manhattan DA says it's necessary to, quote, protect the integrity of the case because of Trump's history of verbally intimidating people related to cases against him. Refugees seeking shelter in Rafah will be allowed to escape to other parts of southern Gaza before an Israeli strike, according to two Israeli officials who spoke with NBC News. It comes as the Israeli military submitted its civilian evacuation plan to President Netanyahu today. And for the nearly 20 million Americans, including 4 million children, suffering from multiple food allergies, there's a new way to reduce the risk of severe allergic reactions. According to a new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine this weekend, the drug Zolaire, originally used to treat allergic asthma, but the study found that it can be an effective allergy treatment for people who have severe reactions to things like peanuts or other nut trees or even eggs or dairy. Hmm. It's really, it's nice to have another tool in the toolbox. Absolutely. Bertha Coombs, thank you. We want to update you on a stock that we've been following closely here on Overtime. Intuitive Machines plunging today after the space company said its Odysseus lunar lander mission will be cut short. Now, it made history last Thursday when the lander became the first commercial spacecraft to successfully land on the lunar surface. The stock had surged with the launch and then the landing, but began plunging in after hours trading Friday after it was disclosed that the lander had tipped over on its side. Odysseus has been operating its M1 mission, but Intuitive Machines saying today, quote, based on Earth and moon positioning, we believe flight controllers will continue to communicate with Odysseus until Tuesday morning. So it's shorter than the seven days that had been planned. The stock fell 34% in trading today. It's been a wild ride for this name and it had run up as much as 250% this month, trading as high as 12 
dollars and change a share. It has since plunged from there. It's now down about 70 percent over the last year. But, John, keep in mind, still up about 140 percent this month amid this mission. Yeah, quite a ride. Um, up next, Mike Santoli is going to break down the market rally and where we are in the current cycle. Plus, the market punishing Alphabet over problems with its AI model, Gemini. Coming up, a top analyst on why that may not be the only problem facing Alphabet right now. Welcome back to Overtime. Check out shares of HashiCorp surging today, a little over 14% after Morgan Stanley upgraded the software company to overweight from equal weight, hiked its price target on the stock to $30 from 23. Analysts there citing a resurgence in cloud initiatives and valuation. This is a company that works in multi-cloud. Now, despite today's gains, the stock is down about 13% over the last six months. Morgan. All right. Well, now let's turn to Mike Santoli. He is back with a look at the big macro debate that's happening in the markets right now. Mike. Yeah, Morgan, it's been happening for a while, too. What phase of the economic cycle are we in? Does the current cycle even map to prior ones? But I mean, it's been an assumption for over a year that we are somewhat late cycle because unemployment's already low. We've already been through probably a full Fed tightening cycle. A lot of the other indicators are there to suggest that there's maybe not that much running room. However, these equity baskets that are constructed by Deutsche Bank to track what types of stocks are working in different phases show that mid-cycle stocks, those that just do well when you're kind of in the heart of an expansion, uh, are continuing to lead, uh, certainly over late-cycle ones. Now, this, to be clear, is long the stocks that do well in the mid-cycle and short the ones that are supposed to not do well in mid-cycle based on past patterns. And I'll point out also, early cycle and end cycle are different stock baskets, and mid-cycle is outperforming all of them right now. So this doesn't necessarily settle the question, but it does fit with some other indications such as Fed not really feeling like it needs to cut for any reason. And of course, economic growth continuing somewhat above trend, at least at last measure, Morgan. All right. You may have said this, but I may have missed it, but I just want to go back. What what are example of mid-cycle and how is that? And and to that point, I mean, when you see stuff like industrials, which have been a stealth mover uh, higher this year, is that an example of that? Absolutely. So it would be things like industrials. So if it's in the early cycle, usually it might be deep, deep cyclical stuff like autos that got really beaten up and banks, things like that. Uh, And then, you know, you kind of hand it off to those more steady growers. Industrials would be part of it. They are beneficiaries of CapEx in some areas of consumer as well. So it's not necessarily, you know, all or nothing when it comes to these sectors. But that is an example of what uh, might be working right now. All right, Mike, thank you. And now Macy's headlining a big day for retail earnings tomorrow. Coming up, former Toys R Us CEO Jerry Storch is going to give us his insight into the state of consumer spending. Plus, the board battle at Norfolk Southern is heating up. The latest details and the impact on investors when Overtime returns. Welcome back to Overtime. Norfolk Southern releasing preliminary proxy materials today amid its leadership fight with activist investor Ancora. The railroad nominating two new candidates to the board, former Amtrak and Delta CEO Richard Anderson and former Senator Heidi Heitkamp, who's also a CNBC contributor, confirming, quote, unanimous support for the company's strategy under CEO and President Alan Shaw. 
Ancora, which is seeking to overhaul both the C-suite with former UPS exec Jim Barber and railroader Jamie Boychuk, and the board with eight nominees, responding, quote, since Mr. Shaw and his boardroom allies have no credible plan and no viable record to run on, it makes sense that they would initiate a weak and reactionary refresh. Now, the activist campaign coming amid underperformance by Norfolk Southern versus direct peer CSX and other class one railroads, and a year after a disastrous derailment in Ohio that helped for regulators to take the unusual step last week of actually warning against quote-unquote backsliding on safety amid this proxy battle. The investor battle taking place amid a tough market for freight overall, as evidenced by BNSF and Berkshire Hathaway's earnings over the weekend. BNSF is the only railroad posting weaker margins than Norfolk Southern, with operating earnings falling 14 percent last year. And Warren Buffett writing, quote, though BNSF carries more freight and spends more on capital expenditures than any of the five other major North American railroads, its profit margins have slipped relative to all five since our purchase. I believe that our vast service territory is second to none, and therefore our margin comparisons can and should improve. Pretty pointed commentary there from Buffett. BNSF is also the only class, rail, class one railroad to fully resist in all aspects precision scheduled railroading in recent years. But the broader context, freight has been in recession, normalizing post-COVID, Rail volumes down across the board, as you can see right there last year, though starting to show some early signs of recovery in recent months. As one analyst told me, the rails have been pivoting in anticipation of growth and have been less worried about margins with volumes down, headcount up. That's what Norfolk's team is betting on, a strategy designed to be ready for volume to come back. The question is, will investors get on board? or derail that current plan. I'd also note, despite some weakness in that stock today, those shares have been trading uh, around 52-week highs amid all of this activist investor angst, John. Okay, so, so timeline here for context. Was Ancora on Norfolk Southern's case before the de derailment or no? Was this just something that exacerbated that situation? I think it's interesting that the unions seem to be backing Norfolk Southern's current management uh, and, and not these activists. Yeah, and it's been interesting to see regulators like uh, the FRA issuing notes in the midst of all of this. I, you don't typically see that in the middle of a, of a proxy fight around safety and around leadership, warning about leadership changes. And Core has been an investor for a little while. Uh, there were talks between the two about finding some sort of agreement in recent months. Those have broken down. It would seem, based on the filings we got today and some of my reporting and talking to some folks on background on both sides, that this is really... Um, it's really about leadership in the C-suite, uh, and it, see, it would seem that the sticking point here is a change in management for Ancora. Now, keep in mind, anything could happen in coming weeks in terms of some sort of deal getting struck. Um, but as it stands, I think probably some of the next milestones are going to involve what comes out of ISS and Glass-Lewis in terms of uh, board selection, future for management, what they what they uh, recommend, and then how that plays out, say, April. We don't have a date yet for mm. that meeting, but how that plays out in the spring, we'll say. Okay. All that tracks. Up next. I see what you did there. Yes. Uh, an analyst explains why Alphabet shares are looking cheap and why that doesn't mean investors should buy the stock. And check out shares of Hims and Hers Health. They are surging in overtime after beating Wall Street's earnings estimates, issuing strong guidance up 15%. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Overtime. Alphabet taking a hit today. Shares falling 4%. This coming after the company announced a pause of AI image generator uh, Gemini due to inaccuracies in some of the images that it was creating. Well, joining us now to discuss why he thinks Alphabet stock is cheap for a reason, Ben Reitzis, tech lead at Melius Research. Ben, I understand that there's a lot of criticism of Google right now, in part because of this AI thing. There was already this overhang about them possibly being behind Microsoft. But is there a chance that this is like the pylon to Meta a couple years ago that turned out to be overdone? Well, there's a chance. Uh, Of course there is. What we really need to see from them is perhaps the initiatives that they're taking to make their AI more reliable and probably more importantly, real efficiency, not just saying it a few times on the conference call, but something more quantifiable. But to date, we really haven't seen it. There's been, frankly, uh, it's a lot of confusing launches. And uh, we're a little bit uh, saying it today, it's achieved for a reason. And uh, you picked up on that. Yeah. So you're saying you want them to be um, a little bit more specific in their guidance about things like cost cuts and their care for margins. I mean, they've got a new CFO coming in. So there's an opportunity to do this. Do you think it's going to happen? I don't know. It's a little uh, so far, it's a little un Google like to come out with targets and guidance and things that uh both Meta and other Mag7 companies have done to kind of shepherd us through some of the growth phases and turnaround phases that they've all gone through. Uh, But I think it's time to turn over a new leaf. Uh, That would be welcome to kind of have real margin targets for the cloud business, which is sub 10%. I mean, their competitors uh, are way ahead of that. And that would add a lot to EPS. Obviously, other bets, they're talking about, thinking about doing things there. Let's do it. Uh, that, That would add. And then we would like to just see more uh, tar- these launches have been a bit jumbled. Um, you know, you don't see like something like this, you know, Apple gets a lot of criticism, but when they kind of launch something, you kind of know what it is and they don't rename it three days later. So we kind of need to see, tightening up the message here on AI as well. So they can be the trusted brand that leads us forward and show us how they're gonna monetize search with AI infused features. You have a hold rating on the stock. What would it take to get, to, get you to a buy then? Well, exactly kind of how John said it here. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has shown that he thinks his stock's a scoreboard, okay? He cares. And he's gone through and he's become more efficient and we've seen it in the results. And he's hustling on AI, open sourcing models and using AI features to improve his ad business. We just got to see proof. We got to see proof that they care and they're doing it. And um, to date, we haven't seen it. It seems like they're saying certain things that allude to it. But look, it's real easy to buy another Mag 7 stock. Obviously, a lot of folks are criticizing Tesla these days, but you know, three or four of them are just doing a bang up job. Obviously, Nvidia, um, but uh, you know, uh, Amazon and Meta as well. They, they're showing that they care about their P&L. So there's alternatives for folks. And if search is secularly challenged, you can get a little cheaper. So in a week where you have DeepMind CEO making comments, you've got the Mobile World Congress in general, big focus there is AI and smartphones. How much does that matter to Alphabet and Google? How much does that matter to the broader ecosystem as we do start to see this real-time, real-world rollout of these applications? Well, I think that, you know, in terms of the stuff coming out of Mobile World Congress, I haven't seen anything that's revolutionary yet. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's hard to keep up with anything. 
I think what we need to see from Google specifically, though, is a plan to monetize SGE where we all feel good about it. Um, we're seeing the rise of some new competitors. If you go to Perplexity AI's site and start playing with their AI, it looks pretty good. It doesn't, you don't need to be too much of an expert here to know that that might be part of the future that we are working with here. So I just think they need to be more explicit on how we're going to monetize the dashboards that their ad buyers know with AI infused and make us feel good that this can accelerate in an AI world. We're in a once in a generation handoff here in search from good old search for decades that we knew at Google to something that's AI infused. This is a big transition. And I, I think a lot of the sell side has been pretty lackadaisical about it, frankly. Mm. Ben Wright says, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Shares of Alphabet down 4% today. One of the worst performers. Up next, former Toys R Us CEO Jerry Storch and what he's expecting from Macy's earnings tomorrow and what the results could say about the outlook for consumer spending and what's a very heavy week for retail results. Stay with us. Welcome back to Overtime. A number of retailers reporting this week, including Macy's, Lowe's, Best Buy, Birkenstock, and TJ Maxx. That stuck to touching an all-time high today. But joining us now on retail in the state of the consumer is Jerry Storch. He's currently the CEO of Storch Advisors. He was the former CEO of Toys R Us uh, and more. Jerry, it's good to have you back on the show. Before I start getting into what to expect from Macy's and the others, the strength and resiliency of the consumer I mean, I, I can think about you coming on the show last year and saying that you were concerned about it. It's held up pretty well despite inflation. Your thoughts now? Well, look, two things we know for sure about the consumer. First is they've held up a lot better than most people, including me, thought they would. Secondly, most of the overhangs, the factors that had people worried, are still there. So you still have rising consumer debt, uh, decreased savings, and, of course, ongoing inflation. So there's reasons to still have some concern. When you look at the retailers that reported so far, it's early in this earnings season. We're getting a slew more, as you point out, this week and next week. So far, we heard from two big ones, though, Walmart and Home Depot, and it's a mixed bag. So if you look at same-store sales, which is the gold standard for retailing, Walmart reported for the fourth quarter 4.0% same-store sales growth. In the third quarter, is 4.9%. Home Depot reported negative 3 for this fourth quarter. And in the, in the third quarter, it's negative 3.9%. So basically, they're clones of the prior quarter. So we wonder whether that's what we're going to see when retailers report. We don't know yet. We're going to find out soon. Okay. So Macy's specifically, which, which reports tomorrow, we know activist investor Arc House Management uh, is involved there, nominated nine people to the board. Uh, the company rejected an unsolicited takeover uh, bid from, from an investor group led by them as well. How much is riding on results tomorrow and an outlook that is going to be impressive to Wall Street, given that proxy fight. Morgan, Morgan, I love you dearly, but I'm conflicted in that situation, so I'm really able to talk about it today. Uh, in general, what we see is that value retailers are thriving. So people like Walmart, like Costco, like TJX, uh, food is taking a lot of the consumer dollar. Uh, there's been a lot of documentation that that's where the money is going. Discretionary products are not doing as well whether that's apparel, uh, home furnishings, uh, building materials, uh, electronics, those are tougher categories. 
Jerry, I'm particularly eager to see TJX results because the off-price retailer has been performing so well. Its operations seem tight. But comparing it to Walmart, Walmart is moving more into advertising, even digital. It's doing more with omnichannel and online. Am I wrong here, or is TJX a really interesting gut check on whether it can continue growing into its valuation in this environment? Hey, they proved all the naysayers wrong. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was at McKinsey many decades ago, seriously, I worked at TJ Maxx, and they thought the whole country might hold 500 stores, and then they'd be maxed out, and they couldn't even build anymore. Now they've got thousands of stores. They keep growing. The company's worth $100 billion, so I'm not going to start capping their growth. And they're doing it without much of an Internet to speak of, as you, as you point out, and without going to all these finagling you know, uh, marketplaces and uh, advertising services, they're just offering tremendous value every single day, and that continues to work for them, as it does for Walmart, as it does for Costco, as it does for the dollar stores, which are doing much better right now. And of course, don't forget Amazon when you put together your wish list of companies that are thriving in this environment. But Walmart's going after more, as I mentioned, more aggressively, I think, than TJX is. So not saying can TJX continue to perform, but can it continue to perform up to how it's priced? Uh, you know, I think they can. They're just because people, you know, it used to be that their slogan was, why pay department store prices? Now, you know, they're much larger than the entire department store sector. So the, as I've said many, many times on this show and elsewhere, the parasite has devoured the host. And they're growing like crazy. People love it. I think they can do growing. No, 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 Walmart's no slacker. They've always been one of my picks. Go back and check. For two years, I've said Walmart, 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 Costco. Those are huge winners in this environment. Walmart, never forget, is the leading grocer in the country. And as I mentioned earlier, money is going to grocery. And that grocery drives frequency and trips. And while they're there, they buy everything else because they know that the prices at Walmart are good. They have a well-developed Internet. Uh, the in-store pickup has been growing very, very mm -hmm. rapidly. We buy a line and pick up in, in the store. So they're doing quite well. I, and they're growing services, growing everywhere. So yeah. I would never knock Walmart, but TJ Maxx can still do great. And of, and, of course, advertising now with acquisition of Vizio. Jerry Storch, thanks yes. for joining us. Well, the major averages finished lower, including the Dow, despite Amazon's addition to the industrials. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime. Fast Money starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.